You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one either in the seat back in front of you or if you are in one of the red chairs at the end of the aisle. We want you to be seeing God's Word for yourself. And so please pull out that Bible. If you don't have a Bible permanently, that's our gift to you. Just take it home, put your name in it, and it's yours. Opening your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 7 today and following. Uh, We are back into our series in the book of Mark after a brief break for Holy Week. And uh, we've called this series in Mark the Good News because that's what Mark says he set out to write, the good news. Uh, Mark's purpose for writing and therefore our purpose for studying the book is that we would take to heart this truth that now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's our series vision. Now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that means that we first need to believe that for ourselves, that we would grow to love Jesus more and more as we see Him in the Gospel of Mark, as we live out our faith in Him, and then out of that faith and love that we would be equipped to clearly communicate the good news about who He is and what He has done to change our lives. And then the challenge to all believers at Oak Hill during this series is that every single person would take the opportunity to share the gospel with at least one unbeliever each year. I was thinking about that today, and I was like, honestly, that sounds like I'm setting the bar kind of low. Like one believer in a whole year. I think we can, I think we can handle that, um, but we are about four months into the year. That's one-third of the way through. How, how's that going for you? Just do a little personal checkup. How's that going for you? I would love, by the way, to hear stories about that because um, it, it would encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ if we could share those stories. And you don't necessarily have to stand up here and share those stories yourself. I can read them for you if you want. But, but it would encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if, even if there were no visible fruits from that. Just the fact that you boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else would encourage us. And we're going to see today that the, the goal isn't necessarily the fruit but it's the faithfulness. It's the faithfulness. Now, one of the ways that you can explore the gospel with an unbeliever that we've been encouraging you to do is to to read the book of Mark with them, to invite them to read the book of Mark with you. And we have an evangelistic uh, reading plan from Christianity Explored. It's attached to uh, our website, oakhillfellowship.com slash mark. And uh, you can start a a conversation with an unbeliever. And then as you see some interest in Jesus, you, you can challenge them, hey, would you read the book of Mark? And, and we can discuss it a couple times over the next few months, and, uh, and, you can, and you can help them see Jesus right there in His Word. However you go about it, we are calling every believer at Oak Hill to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to at least one unbeliever, because the, the bottom line is that disciples are not mature until they begin making disciples. Disciples are not mature until they begin making disciples. 
And Mark is very clear about that. Jesus called his followers in chapter 1 from the very beginning. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So, so right out of the gate, he told his disciples, if they're going to follow him, this is what you ought to expect. Following Jesus means calling others to follow him as well. And when he called the smaller group of the twelve to himself, he named them apostles, which means sent ones. And he called them to be with him that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Mark 3, verse 14 and 15. In other words, he called them into relationship with himself. And then out of the overflow of that relationship, he called them to mission. And so we try to capture this in our, in our Oak Hill mission statement and our discipleship pathway, which is up on the screen for you. Uh, what's our mission statement here at Oak Hill? Say it with me. It's, it's underneath the brackets there, okay? Uh, proclaim Jesus, equip servants, send witnesses to the glory of God. Okay, that was weak. Let's say it like we mean it. Proclaim Jesus, equip servants, send witnesses to the glory of God. And so as a, a disciple of Jesus grows, they hear the proclamation of Jesus, they, they repent, they turn from their sin, and they trust Christ. That's what that first circle on the line represents, right? And, and then they spend some time getting equipped, learning the basics of the faith, learning to abide and grow and endure in Jesus Christ as his servant. But then there has to come a point, not even all that long into our discipleship journey, we're not talking like 20 years or something like that, there has to come a point when those equipped servants are sent as witnesses. That's when they bear testimony to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And they do that for other believers. We call that edification, the, the building up of the church. That's totally part of making disciples. But also we, we, we do that for unbelievers. We call that evangelism. And as we've been studying the book of Mark, the, the disciples, the apostles, that are walking with Jesus have been in the equipping phase so far. They, they've been traveling with Jesus, watching him model ministry. They've been learning to understand his teaching as he takes them aside and explains parables personally to them. And, and they've been learning to depend on Jesus through some pretty crazy circumstances. Remember the storm? And, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, wake up, we're dying. And he's like, why are you afraid? And so... They've heard his teaching. They're becoming convinced of his identity. And now in Mark chapter 6, the disciples are ready for their first taste of ministry. I'm not sure if they knew that they were ready. I'm not sure if we would look at them and say they were ready. But they're ready, Jesus says. You can think of this like their first short-term mission trip. Jesus is going to have an informational meeting about the mission trip. He's going to send them out and they're going to return and they're going to give a report back to him in verse 30. And in the time that they're out on their trip, Mark is going to include this story about another witness to Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, who died for calling sinners to repentance. And so Mark puts all of this together in one big sandwich, and we're going to see a good picture of what to expect when we are sent out on mission as disciples of Christ. Here's the big idea for today. Go and tell others the good news of Jesus, fully knowing what to expect on his mission. 
Go and tell others the good news of Jesus, fully knowing what to expect on his mission. So your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 6. Jesus was just preaching in the hometown of Nazareth. Nick did a great job of preaching that a couple of weeks ago. And he was widely rejected in Nazareth. They they could not get over the fact that that he was just this dude who they watched grow up. And, and, and now he's claiming stuff like the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news. He's, he's claiming basically messianic promises from the book of Isaiah. And, and so their, their familiarity with Jesus led them to reject Jesus. Got to watch out for that, don't we? And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. What makes Jesus marvel? Extreme faith and extreme unfaith. And so we're going to pick things up in chapter 6, the, the second fa- half of verse 6. We're going to take this section by section this morning. We're going to start uh, in verse six, six, um, 6 and go all the way to verse 30. But, but for now, uh, read with me there. And he went about among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you, are, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, that when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And so we're going to stop there. We're going to stop there. Go and tell others the good news of Jesus, fully knowing what to expect on his mission. Here's the first thing we need to know as we're sent as witnesses of Jesus. Uh, Go, knowing that you will embody the authority of Jesus. Go, knowing that you will embody the authority of Jesus. So this text reads like a briefing before a military operation, doesn't it? Jesus is is giving his marching orders about the provisions that they're to take, the rules of engagement, and, and the mission objective. And he's commissioning them to be his representatives, to be his witnesses to the good news of who he is and what he has done. Notice that he sends them out in community. He sends them out two by two. And the reason for that is because the message they carried needed the confirmation of at least two witnesses. That was the standard Jewish thinking about any truth claim. And honestly, it's really good wisdom for today as well. Too often we think about personal evangelism and we think that I just have to go out there, buck up, get brave, and talk to an unbeliever. And that could be fine. I'm not, I'm not, if you want to do that, that's great. But maybe we should view it a little more like a team effort. Two by two or more, helping one another verify the witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that, that as Jesus sends them out two by two, he also defines their mission and empowers their mission. Verse 7, they have authority over the unclean spirits. So just as they've seen him drive away the rulers and authorities over this present darkness, they have been given that same authority. That's incredible. 
Now, it's not that they exercise that authority in their own name or in their own power. Actually, we're going we're to see very soon in the book of Mark what happens when they don't pray, when they rely on themselves. But at the same time, they are ambassadors of His powerful name. And that means that He gets to define the parameters of the mission. In verse 8, we see Him define the provisions. On this particular trip, they're to have meager provisions, just a staff. This would have been a walking staff, something like a, a shepherd's crook. This would not have been a different kind of staff, a rod that was used as a weapon. Uh, Matthew and Luke both mentioned that Jesus said they could not carry a staff. And some people are like, oh, look, contradiction, contradiction. But if we put this together, we, we can see that Jesus is calling them to take a walking stick, but to not take a defensive weapon with them, to not take the rod. All they can take is a walking stick, no bread, no bag, no money belt. They're to wear sandals. In other words, get ready to do some walking, boys. They're, they're not to wear two tunics. Uh, nothing extra. Nothing weighing them down. This is, this is working man's apparel. Understand that these are, are very meager rations. We might ask, like, like why Jesus? Do you just want your disciples to suffer? Do you want them to be monks living in austerity? That's not exactly it, because later, at a time that's recorded in Luke, he's going to say that, that they should take some of those things. But for this trip, I believe he's giving them meager provisions for at least two reasons. Uh, first, this helped them to rely on God for this mission. And then, that was really tied to this second reason. It helped them to stay faithful to the rules of engagement. The, the rules of engagement come in verse 10. They're to go and enter a house and stay with one household until they leave town. Why, why is that the case? Well, Matthew and Luke explain this a little bit more, that they were finding a person of peace in that town. Someone in the community who was warm to their message and who showed that warmth through traditional Middle Eastern hospitality. Hospitality in this culture was so, so important. And so if no one would put them up for the night, it demonstrated an outright rejection in the message of Jesus. And if someone did put them up for the night, the disciples were to, to show their host honor by not jumping from house to house to house, perhaps maybe to get like a nicer place to stay or something like that. And that host, in those other Gospels is called a person of peace. They were a bridge to the rest of the community. And I, again, I believe that this is good wisdom for us as well today. We, we should find people and, and even, I think, sometimes organizations who have inroads into the community, who are connected to the lost in ways that we aren't always, and who are willing to share their resources and their relational capital with us for the sake of the Gospel. And then hang with them. Serve them. Love them. Be with them. For this trip with the disciples, those were the particular rules of engagement. They helped to make clear if the mission was taking root in a particular area. So, so if no one in the community stepped up to build a bridge of peace, that community, that whole community was proving their objection to the gospel. Jesus defines then 
the mission objective in verses 7 and 11. And there's even a hint of it in, in verse 12 as well. Uh, the 12 apostles are sent out in His authority, uh, the authority over demons, over the powers of darkness, and they're sent out to see who will receive the message of Jesus. That's their mission objective. Who's going to receive Jesus? Who's going to reject Jesus? Verse 11 says that if anyone does not show them hospitality, then they're to shake off the dust of their feet as a testimony against them. They're supposed to make it clear, this is your rejection of the Messiah. Commentator William Lane explains that, that when Jews came back from traveling in a, in a Gentile region, they would stop at the border of Israel and they would shake the dust off their feet before they entered into Israel so that they didn't get any of that pagan dust in Israel. And so Jesus is, is saying, make sure that you make it clear to them that if they reject you, they're rejecting the Messiah, and therefore they are as good as pagans. Say, so make it clear. In that, we, we get a hint at even more of their primary task. It's, it's made more explicit in verse 12 that they were sent out to call all of the people in the villages to repent, to turn from their sin and to follow Jesus. This is exactly the ministry of Jesus in, in chapter 1, verse 15. He went around Galilee proclaiming the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so we can assume that the exact message of Jesus is the exact message that the disciples were sent out to proclaim while on mission. They weren't only doing good deeds like healing the sick and casting out demons. They, those good deeds were accompanied by good news. So verse 11 is the end of the, the preparation meeting. The, the end of the, the mission briefing, if you will. And so I just want you to think a little bit. If you were the disciples after Jesus gave you that little preparation speech, how ready are you feeling to go out at this moment? How are you feeling about this mission? On the one hand, you're being sent out with meager provisions and, and being prepared to face potential rejection. On the other hand, you're being sent out in the authority of Jesus, which you have watched play out over and over and over again. And so, which hand is ruling your heart in this moment? Which hand is ruling your heart right now, disciple? Is it the fear of the unknown or the confidence of the authority of Jesus Christ? We're going to see that the disciples went out confidently and returned to Jesus faithfully. But before you get there, I just want to stop on this point. Uh, when you go out and tell others the good news of Jesus, you must know that you embody the authority of Jesus Himself. You are sent out in the security of His authority, and that is the only security you need. One of the primary hindrances to us telling others the good news of Jesus is the fear of the unknown. The fear of what if. Particularly, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough of the right answers? What if I don't have enough eloquence to say the right things? What if I don't have enough courage 
to call them to repentance? What if I don't have enough resources to meet their needs? What if I don't have enough? Answer, you will have enough because you have Jesus. Jesus is enough. And his authority was enough for the disciples when he sent them out with a staff, some sandals, and only one tunic. And his authority is enough for you as you're sent as a witness to him. The authority of Jesus will crush every excuse we could possibly make to not bearing witness to Jesus in ministry and evangelism. Sometimes we just got to admit it. Like we use excuses. We hide behind excuses. Oh, that conversation would be too tough. Oh, that would put my workplace in jeopardy. Oh, that would put this relationship in jeopardy. Oh, you know, well, I'm not the right person. I don't have enough eloquence. I'm... The authority of Jesus will crush every excuse that we could make to ministry and evangelism. Believer, we are called to make disciples of all nations. We are given the same authority of Jesus that the disciples were given that day. Just look at the Great Commission that we talk about very often at Oak Hill here. He says, go and make disciples. But what did he say before that? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, what? Therefore, and make disciples. And then he wrapped around on the back end and he said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. To be given the authority of Jesus means, first of all, you go in his power. You work in his power, not your own. He goes with you. Well, how is that true? He, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He, he has clothed you, believer, with power from on high. When you believed, you were indwelled with the promised Holy Spirit. Second, to be given the authority of Jesus means that you represent His kingdom. You do things His way, not your own. You speak on His behalf. Your time, your efforts, your resources, they're all His, not yours. And so you accomplish His mission. And that's freeing them because if people reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Him. Because your life is so wrapped up in Christ. And so we must go knowing that we embody His authority. We must call sinners to repentance. He's commissioned us to make disciples of Jesus. We must make it clear to them that if they reject Christ, they remain in their sin and receive the judgment of God. It's, it's so much of what we don't want to do, right? That's the part we don't want to say. But we have to say it. And in doing so, we must storm the gates of hell with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He promised that He will overcome them. And we must do it in the confidence that our King is the ultimate King with ultimate authority and that He actually wants to save sinners. Now, I say that knowing that some will misunderstand or even reject this message, and that's going to become difficult when that happens. So we, we see that in verse 12 to 16. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And King Herod heard of it for, for Jesus. Jesus' name had become known. 
Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like the, one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Here's the second thing to expect on mission for Christ. Go, knowing that you will be both received and misunderstood. You will be both received and misunderstood. So the disciples went out, and apparently they were able to do a lot of ministry. And just like they saw Jesus modeled, they they preached repentance, they cast out demons, they healed the sick. And it's important that we know that sometimes serving in ministry does go well. Like I never want to make it sound like it's all doom and gloom and hardship and suffering and rejection and all that stuff. Like there are some payoffs, right? Like, like we see lost people saved and saved people matured and mature people multiplied. You see people lose addictions and, and marriages healed and, and destructive patterns of behavior broken. And you see the powers of darkness lose their grip on the souls of men and women. And it's incredible and awe-inspiring to see God at work. Sometimes ministry goes well. But mixed in with that is always this experience of being misunderstood. And, and Jesus and his disciples were largely misunderstood so they're now covering a whole lot more ground in galilee now that their their ministry has multiplied in different directions and and so king herod begins to hear about this jesus character now herod isn't actually a king Uh, mark is making a little jab at him because he, he wanted to be called king but about five years after this event he was banished from the empire for requesting the title king from rome and that has happened by the time that Mark is writing. So so Mark just throws in this little jab to show that these so-called earthly kings have authority that is very fleeting. Jesus has the real authority. So Herod's first, or full name rather, is is Herod Antipas. Herod is, is sort of like a family title, comes from his dad who was the Herod back when the two year olds were and under were killed when Jesus was born, that whole thing. He's act, this Herod, Herod Antipas, is actually the Tetrarch of Galilee. He's sort of like a governor. And remember, Galilee is where Jesus has focused all of his ministry so far in the book of Mark. And so as Jesus and his disciples make more and more of a scene in Galilee, it's going to get his attention. So Herod hears about Jesus, but he completely misunderstands him. He thinks that Jesus is, is a reincarnation of John the Baptist, uh, mainly because there's a little bit of a rumor going on about that, but also because he has a, a very guilty conscience because he beheaded John the Baptist. And so he asked some others for their opinion, and, and you could just kind of imagine them like, like, no, no, don't worry, Herod, he's not John the Baptist, he's Elijah. Well, Elijah was supposed to come before the, the great and fearsome day of the Lord, and so that's not much of a comfort. So then some others are like, well, no, no, no he's just like one of the prophets of old. But if you read your Old Testament, you know that one of the prophets of old, all the prophets of old had like a lot of sparring with kings. So again, not very much of a comfort. And so Herod's like, you know what? Nope, I just know it. He is John the Baptist. Come back to, from the dead to get me. And we see this interchange has an important, gives us an important expectation for ministry that some people will get it and some people won't. You just need to expect it. So it's kind of like the game Mad Gab. You ever play the game Mad Gab? 
We get a card like this one, okay? And someone has to say it out loud in order for the rest of their team to get it, right? So like, noose, pay, peri, port, okay? And then everybody else has to get it. Anybody have it? Noose, pay, peri, port. There you go. How many of you got that? How many of you totally did not get that? Yeah, right. Some people get it, and some people don't. Some people have ears to hear it, and some people don't. We're, we're like, Jesus Christ is good news for you. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. And all they hear is, John the Baptist has come back from the dead to get me. We need to get our expectations in the right place when we go and tell others the good news. Some are going to receive it and some are totally going to misunderstand. And expecting both is essential. Because if we only expect receptivity, we will retreat at the first sign of misunderstanding. And if we only expect misunderstanding, we will lack the motivation to get out there in the first place. You go in the authority of Jesus. He has great power to save. And we can expect that He will save people as we are faithful to His mission, but He was also greatly misunderstood, and we can expect that too. In fact, he was opposed and persecuted and even put to death. And that's going to happen to some of his witnesses as well. We see that beginning in verse 17. For Herod, it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. So get this, Herod Antipas marries Herod Philip's wife, whose name is Herodias because she's his niece. Sick. Wicked. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So John's speaking up. He's preaching repentance. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So John's speaking all these things to Herod, and Herod's like, bring it coming. I don't know what you're talking about at all. It just sounds like noose, pay, peri, port. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter, now this is his great niece and his wife's daughter, from another marriage, came and danced. She pleased Herod for his guests against sick, wicked. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and she said to her mother, For what should I ask? And her mother said, that The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Sick. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. He, he's afraid of losing face here. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. 
he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought it, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Can you imagine being at that dinner party? Just wickedness. Here's the third thing we must know as you go. Go knowing that you will face opposition and persecution. Go knowing that you will face opposition and persecution. So, so this story shows us some serious opposition. But, but why does Mark include this story right here? Right in the, the middle of a story about the disciples going out and then coming back from their first mission trip. Well, this is another example of, of a Markin sandwich. And we've been talking about these Markin sandwiches in our study of the book of Mark here. Uh, Mark has placed this meaty story about John the Baptist's death right in the middle of the bread slices about the apostles being sent out as witnesses. And he's demonstrating that while the apostles saw some great fruit, that's not all that should be expected. Not only will people misunderstand you and not believe, some are going to hate you. Some might even put you to death. And the whole point of this story is this. John was beheaded for preaching repentance. That's the point. That's why it's here. You need to expect this. People will persecute you for your faith because they love their sin more than they love the idea of a Savior. They love their sin more than they love the idea of a Savior. And so that's why they're going to persecute you. So some people will be like, save from what? I'm fine in my sin. I enjoy my sin. What do I need a Savior for? And as you begin to tell them about the wrath of God against sin and, and, and the judgments of hell, uh, that's going to make them uncomfortable and they're going to act out in unpredictable ways. That was Herodias. Being told that she deserved judgment infuriated her. Others are going to see their sin and they're going to maybe be pricked a little bit, but they're still going to love their sin more than the idea of salvation. That was Herod. He liked John. He had a soft spot in his heart for him. But John's call to repentance made no sense. And ultimately, his love for wickedness won out and he persecuted and even beheaded John. So go, knowing that you will face opposition and persecution. If it's ministry within the church, so you just get involved here in the church and you're teaching kids, you're leading a ministry area or a gospel community, you're, you're leading worship within any ministry in the church. Listen, you're not just called to do a task, you're called to point people to Jesus. And not everyone is going to respond to that perfectly every time. Lots of people will. I, I hope that it, a lot better response within the church than outside of the church, right? But some people are going to misunderstand and other people are even going to attack you. I'm not saying that they're right for that, but just expect it. Because there are still people within the church who are within these four walls, but they don't know Jesus. Our kids, some of them. Others who are visiting or 
maybe have snuck into church over and over and over again, but they don't know Jesus, and so they, they respond in fleshly ways. And some who have hardened their hearts to him. And so, listen, we must develop a resilience in ministry. I think, I think too many Christians are quitters. You can't be quitters, y'all. But then if it's, it's, if it's ministry outside the church, so maybe you're serving with Aroma or Care Connect or Solid Rock or, or Solenco Neighborhood Ministries. Maybe it's telling others about Jesus in your sphere of influence. Some will respond well. Some will misunderstand. And others will try to make your life miserable. Expect it. In telling them the gospel of salvation from sin, it's like we are scratching at festering boils in their skin in order to heal them. And some are going to respond to that harshly. So if you experience opposition and persecution, understand in that moment that you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ and count it a privilege. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting Jesus. And so embrace it. Don't run from it. Don't complain about it. That's my temptation. Just complain about it. But embrace it. Expect it. Now, now maybe you're like, Ben, if this was a sermon meant to sell me on making disciples, you are not doing a very good job. Well, actually it's not because I'm never here to sell you anything. I'm here to call you to express your faith in faithful witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ in your life. And I want you to know fully what to expect. And if you aren't currently a follower of Jesus, you should know that following Jesus is not a call to ease and comfort and satisfaction in an earthly way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But it is in our dying to ourselves that we find our life in Christ. And He will return and we, He will see our faith by our faithfulness to Him. And so I don't persuade you to make disciples this morning by saying, it's all going to work out fine if you just get out there and do it. I want to persuade you to make disciples this morning because it is an expression of our faith in Jesus. Go knowing that you will report your faithfulness to Jesus. Look at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. That's it. That's what we get. The apostles had re returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. The disciples come back. And it's like, like kids when they tell you something really exciting that they did at school or in their sporting event or something like that. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. We preached repentance and we cast out demons and we healed people and it was awesome. And all of that is awesome, but because of the way that Mark has put this together, it's tempered by that story of John the Baptist. Were the disciples successful and John unsuccessful? Give me the answer. No! No! When you put it all together, you see that success is simply faithfulness to doing what God has called us to do. It's, it's faithfulness that expresses our faith in Jesus. 
that we really believe that this is the authoritative Savior and Lord that we claim Him to be. And the Bible is clear that we're going to need to report the same type of faithfulness to Jesus regarding His call in our lives. Not to earn our salvation, not at all to earn our salvation, but as an evidence of our faith in the grace that saves. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of students that, stewards that they be found faithful. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul is saying, it doesn't really matter how people respond to me. What matters is that I'm found faithful before the Lord. Literally, to be faithful is to be full of faith and then act out of that faith. So Paul is saying, I've been given a stewardship. I'm a servant of the king entrusted with the riches of the gospel message of Jesus. And it's my responsibility to tell others about it. And there's coming a day when the Lord is going to disclose the purposes of every heart. And what he's revealing in that moment is what controlled your life. Was, your, was it your faith in Jesus Christ alone as Savior and Lord? Or was it something else that motivated you? And for believers, he will reveal our faith. And for that, each one of us will receive commendation. Notice, not condemnation. This is not a judgment of condemnation. This is a word for believers here. And for believers, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? But our aim is not to just escape condemnation. It's to receive commendation. It's to be found faithful. Jesus said the same thing in the parable of the talents. Remember that? He tells a story of a master who goes out and he gives three different servants different amounts of talents, which is an amount of money at the time. In the parable, it represents the riches that the Lord entrusts to His people through the Gospel. And the master goes away and then he returns and he asks for a report. And just like the disciples give here in Mark 6, he, he, he asks for this report and, and then two of the servants in the parable invested the talents and they saw a return. And so what does the master say? Do you remember? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. But one of the servants does not invest his one talent that he was given because he, he perceives the master to be hard and shrewd. He reveals what he really believes about the master. And so the master says to the servant, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? If that's really what you thought about me, then, then you should ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So the wicked servant proved that he did not really know the heart or character of the master. The master was not looking for success. He was not judging whether or not you ended up with X amount at the end. Whether you get X number of people to pray a prayer or to to come to church or to get baptized or whatever you think the fruit should be. He's looking for faithfulness. Because in our faithfulness, we express that we truly know the Savior. Here's the point. Your, Your faith is evidenced in your faithfulness to multiply the rich treasure that you've been given. The Gospel is glorious riches. It is totally worth it to endure misunderstanding and opposition and persecution. And we show our faith in the Gospel by our faithfulness to tell others about it. We open our mouths and we tell others the good news. That though they are sinners, though they love their wickedness instead of God, God sent His own Son into the world. And He had authority over demons and He healed many and He proclaimed a message of repentance and faith. And He didn't just come to conquer those things temporarily. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for your wickedness and mine. So that the power of darkness would have no power over us. And so that one day we could live with Him forever without the curse of sickness and death. And that's what's offered. When we turn from our sin and when we trust Jesus, He forgives us our sin and He brings us into a forever relationship with the God of the universe with the the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so the fear of death and the fear of the enemy and the fear of opposition and the fear of persecution have no hold on us anymore because we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. And where he goes, we go. And where he calls, we follow. And we do what he says because of who we believe him to be. He is the Lord of all and he is the Savior of our lives. And He is worth it. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if we believe that we have been given this rich treasure of the Gospel, we will also believe that it is our responsibility to tell others the good news of that as well. And if you are here this morning and you don't know the rich treasure of the Gospel, you're like, I I haven't died to myself and I haven't been risen with Christ. You can turn to Him today. You can find your life in Him today so that nothing else would have a hold on your life except for Him and Him alone. It's going to change your life. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be the way that you always wanted your life to be. But it's going to be the best way. And so we go carrying that message calling people to repentance, warning them of the judgment to come. And we go knowing that we're going to report our faithfulness back to Jesus. So just imagine yourself there on that day before Jesus. Imagine yourself like like these disciples coming back from their short-term mission trip, sharing with Jesus all that they did that day. Not, Not pridefully, 
Not like this, look at me, Jesus. Look at what I did. I'm earning something from you. No, 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 not like that. Just overjoyed as children sharing what they did out of faith in their Lord. On that day, will you have anything to report? Will you be able to rejoice in Him and with Him there? Again, not like you're impressing Him, not like you're earning something from Him, but like you're rejoicing in all that He did, that you'll be counted worthy to to share in the sufferings of the Gospel and to carry this rich treasure. Will you be able to relate with Him in that day because you expressed your faith in His faithfulness? In, in through faithfulness. Listen, if you simply go in His authority, fully knowing what to expect when you do, you will have plenty to report on that day. Because He will empower you by His Spirit to call people to repentance, to drive back the powers of the darkness. That's what we know. That's what we believe. And that's what motivates us. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.